Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 18. A new series this morning, it's going to be four weeks. We're calling it Eternal Investments, a kingdom approach to financial freedom. Uh, I'll be preaching a couple of these messages. Pastor CJ will be coming. You'll get to hear from Pastor Otto in this pulpit from the first time in a few weeks. So we really want you to be here. It's an exciting series that we're, uh, we're going to be bringing to you over the course of the next four weeks, leading us up to just before Palm Sunday. Believe it or not, it is the season of Lent. There's always a disclaimer a pastor sort of gives when talking about money, and I understand why that is, because so often and so many times within the last 50 to 60 years of Christianity, the church has got a bad rap or perhaps uh, certain aspects of the church has got a bad rap, and it seems that somebody on TV is always asking for money for something. Our goal over the course of the next four weeks is to begin to display for you throughout the scriptures God's intent for bringing you to financial freedom. Now you say, are you going to be like doing a budgeting course? No, that's not it at all. But we want to take a look over the next four weeks at the biblical principles for how to manage the gifts that God has given us. And we shouldn't have to make such a disclaimer, but sometimes we do because people are concerned when they walk in a church, well, does that church just want my money? And we are not a church that just wants your money, but what we do want is freedom for you. We want God to be able to move into the realm of your finances and begin to use them like never before to expand the kingdom of God. And that's what we're about here. So as we start this series in the next four weeks and we talk about financial freedom and, 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 and eternal investments, I want to tell you we do that from a place of strength. This church does tremendously financially. We're not coming to you because the books are a little bit in the red, because they're not. They're far, far in the black. We share these things with you because we want God to display his power through your life. And Money was one of the favorite topics of Scripture, not one that was just pushed to the side. It was one that was in the very center of God's plan for our lives. He has a lot to say about it. Not only that, Jesus had a lot to say about how we handle our finances. If you'd like to challenge me on that, go ahead and read the book of Luke and just make a check mark by every time Jesus talks about our finances. Because it's not off limits to God. In fact, it's something that God cares deeply about because he recognizes something. God recognizes that if you can begin to live out his principles in your finances, you're going to experience freedom like you never have before. That's what we're going to be talking about in the next four weeks. Are you in Luke chapter 18? We're going to be starting in verse 18 and following. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, well, I've kept all these since my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, there is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is possible for mortals is possible for God. Then Peter said, look, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, from the outset of this story, I have to tell you that to me, this is a very sad story of scripture. I I was speaking about it with uh, someone on staff this week and they looked at me and go, oh, that's a sad story. I said, yeah, that's a sad story. And I'll explain why it's a sad story in just a minute. But we can tell just from this story that there's some different people speaking some different language around here. This rich young ruler, this, this person who has remained nameless in the story of Jesus here, he's talking about eternal life. In essence, he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how can I make heaven? And Jesus turns it around and says, listen, we're talking here about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, as we found out at the very end there in verse 30, it results in eternal life. But those two terms are not synonymous. They're not synonyms. The kingdom of God and eternal life are not the same thing. And Jesus, by replying to the man the way he does, he's trying to set up a dichotomy. He's trying to say to this man, you think one way about how religion and faith in God works, and I'm trying to get you to think a different way about how relationship to God works in this whole religious thing. The man looks at Jesus and says, good teacher, and Jesus just starts right away and says, no one's good. No one's good. Now, was Jesus saying that he wasn't sinless? No, he wasn't saying that. But he was starting the conversation right away by looking at this man and saying, you're not going to inherit eternal life based on your own merits. Okay? Now, we could just preach that concept from this passage. The idea that none of us could be saved based on our good deeds. And that's, that's so much of the Christian concept of salvation. And later on in the passage, the, the, the crowd asked Jesus, who can be saved if this guy can't? And Jesus says what? Well, what's impossible for men is quite possible for God, isn't it? And of course, we know that God has made salvation possible through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that our sins have been covered over by the blood of Jesus. So we could just take this from a salvation angle and talk about that today, but I want to talk about Jesus' offer to this man and what it has to do with eternal investments and a kingdom approach to financial freedom. I remember reading this passage as a child and being sick about it. I mean, just sick. I didn't have anything to my name. I had a bed, I had some Ninja Turtles, I had a couple of posters, that was all I had. And I did not like this offer for this man. I thought, how could Jesus ask this of him? This is a disgusting offer. Go and sell everything that you have and follow me. No security, no stuff, no money. Just give it all away to the poor. Everything this guy's worked for, just, just, just push it to the side, and go follow an itinerant preacher around the country. I remember being young and reading this story and going, yuck, Jesus, why would you ask this this guy? I wasn't ready to give Jesus my Ninja Turtles, let alone my entire fortune, right? Which probably consisted of about $8.22. I wasn't ready for that. But this guy has asked something terrible. How dare Jesus ask this of this man? How dare the Son of God ask this of this man? 
How dare the Savior of fallen humanity ask this? How dare the King of kings and the Lord of lords ask this? It begins to sound like a little bit different of an offer in recognition of who Jesus really is, doesn't it? The offer of get rid of all your stuff, sell all your possessions, and follow me, that sounds bad just from our human nature. But in light of who Jesus is, this was not a disgusting offer at all. This was quite the offer, and the man couldn't see the offer that was being made, could he? He couldn't see it. He couldn't see what a great offer this was. This guy was given a chance to have a spot on Jesus' roster. He was, he was given the opportunity to participate with the very Son of God in bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And not just that. See, Jesus was offering this to anybody. He was offering this to rich and poor alike. He was offering this to horrible sinner and someone who'd barely sinned their entire life. He was giving everyone the same offer, salvation in his name and the ability to partner with God to bring about the redemption of humankind. That's the kingdom. But this guy was getting that offer and a bunch more. He was going to get to run with the king. He was going to get a spot in the best franchise available, and that's running with Jesus. But he couldn't see who Jesus was. Or if he did see who Jesus was, he chose to have selective blindness. Now, you've heard of selective hearing. Anybody who's ever been a parent knows about selective hearing. I can say something to Gina from three rooms away from my children about a lollipop, and they'll come running. But if I look at them and say, girls, it's time to brush your teeth, go potty, get your jammies on and go to bed, and all of a sudden, it's like they're deaf. (laughs) They just go right on playing, and I'm like, no, girls, listen, it is time to brush your teeth, go potty, get your jammies on and go to bed. Nothing, right? Selective hearing. This man has selective blindness. Selective blindness. When Jesus begins to turn the conversation in a way that he's not comfortable with, He gets sad, and he can't go any further. You say, Matt, I I don't know. We should maybe have compassion on this man. Well, I do because of what he missed, but but, but maybe he just couldn't see it. Well, the other disciples had. The guys already following Jesus, they saw it fine. Matthew saw it fine when he left his tax collector booth. Peter, Andrew, James, and John saw it fine when they left their boats and followed Jesus. Nathaniel saw it fine. Jesus had not spoken two sentences to Nathaniel before he said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Everybody else saw it. This man chose not to see it because there was something standing between him and the offer. And we know what that is. And the offer that Jesus was making was not just eternal life. Notice that Jesus doesn't really talk about eternal life till the end of the story. Verse 30. Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. And as the man began to walk away, and we had this uh, parallel story in Matthew, we know the man was walking away before Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? It's just like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Uh, Jesus says this statement, and and, and why is he saying it? Why, Why is this the issue? Because he wasn't saying it's that hard for the rich to inherit eternal life, does he? He says it's that hard for the rich to what? Enter the kingdom. Two different languages here. Because eternal life is the result of kingdom living, but entering the kingdom of God starts right here and right now for this man. To begin to be part of God's team. 
part of God's kingdom, to turn over his kingdom into the kingdom of the living God. That's the offer that the man was being made that day, and Jesus knew that something stood in between this man and entering the kingdom of God and beginning to bring the kingdom of God to bear on earth. What he was saying to this man was, divest yourself of wealth and invest in eternity. And this is why I say this is a sad story before we go any further. Who could this man have been? We know Peter, we know Paul, we know James. We know these people who responded to the call. This man remains nameless. He's just the rich, young ruler. We even know Zacchaeus. The very next chapter, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. I won't go any further. We know Zacchaeus. What's interesting about Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus didn't have to divest himself of his entire fortune. He divested himself of a lot of it, but Jesus didn't even ask him. He gave back four times what he'd stolen from people, and I believe he gave half of his wealth to the poor. But Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus to give everything. He asked this man to give everything, and then he said, come and follow me. This man could have done great things for God, but he went back to his household of stuff. He went back to the money in his money bag, and he remains nameless. Why? Because in this moment, when God made him the offer to invest in the kingdom of God, his love of wealth paralyzed the possibilities of what he could do with God. His fidelity to money cut short his ability to do what God wanted him to do. That's why it's a very sad story. Because just as is said in other points of scripture, his money perished with him. But what he could have done could have lasted for eternity. We have a question to ask, and it's, 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 it's already been alluded to. Why did Jesus ask this of this man? Right? Because Jesus had not asked every single disciple and every single follower to divest themselves of all forms of wealth. Why did he ask it of this man? Well, we have a little bit of a hint because of what took place just two chapters earlier. Jesus is talking about wealth, and he's talking about how to use wealth and how wealth can sometimes use us. And he said one of the most famous passages in Scripture, and it was just a few verses back from the story we read. It's in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 13 says this, and it'll be up on the screen for you. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. That's why the issue that we see here. This man could keep all the rules, but he still served his wealth and not God. You say, I don't know, did this man really keep all the rules? It's quite possible. He said that I've kept all of those rules since my youth. Go ahead and look back. Is it possible? Jesus says, you, sh- you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. It's possible he never did that. You shall not murder. Very possible he didn't do that. Honor your father and mother, yeah. Don't steal, don't lie. It's quite possible from by the time he had his bar mitzvah, he had done none of these things. 
that he was so serious about following the law that he had done none of those things. But Jesus says, buddy, you're still lacking one thing. Go sell it all. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Some believe that word wealth in chapter 16 that we just looked at, well, the word is the word mammon. It's, it's a word that has been transliterated into the Greek and then into the English language. Mammon, some believe, was the god of wealth of the Syrians. Now, the Syrians were just north of the Israelites. And we know that any god that sets itself up against the one true god is not a god at all, but has some type of spiritual and demonic influence. Jesus doesn't use the term mammon a lot. In fact, he doesn't even use it in in chapter 18 here. But he did use it in chapter 16 to say, you cannot serve both God, the living God, and the spirit that is wealth. And this God that is wealth. People hearing him that day would have known that he was referencing a spiritual entity that was tied to wealth. And the same holds true for this man in chapter 18. Wealth was his malicious master. It was the thing paralyzing the possibilities of what he could do with God. He was married to it, not to the concept of what God can do in his life. And I I wanted to bring an entire message on this concept of mammon, and I I wanted to, to, to go off on this on this uh, journey with you about the spirit that's held over money, and I decided not to do that. So I want to, want to suffice it to say this today before we move on any further and why Jesus asked this of this man. Love of money is an evil spirit that sets itself up against faithfulness to Christ. That's what the love of money is. It's an evil spirit that sets itself up against faithfulness to Christ. It's not neutral when it doesn't belong to God. Wealth itself is not neutral unless it belongs to God. Then it's a tool in his hands. Otherwise, it's grabbing at you, trying to pull you in. It's a malicious master. It's one that wants you to place all your hope and all your dreams and all your security in it. And it squelches the ability to set our hope and our dreams and our security upon that which God has called us to. Squelches it. Stomps it out. It's an evil spirit. It sets itself up against faithfulness to Christ and the work that God wants to do in our lives. The problem is, it's never enough. It just keeps grabbing us and pulling us and dragging us away from what God desires for us. It's not neutral unless it's given to God. It's evil. Solomon, at the end of his life, one of the richest men in the history of the world, had an empire in the ancient Near East, the richest, most wise king in the history of Israel. 
got to the end of his life and wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he said this about wealth. Ecclesiastes 5.10, the lover of money will never be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This is also vanity. People who make wealth their master and the security and the hope and the dreams of their life are wrapped up in the accumulation and the holding on to of wealth. They are never, ever satisfied. Never happy. What could Jesus offer that poor, in the, in the Aramaic, am ha'aretz, that poor person of the land who was never going to have two nickels to rub together, who was going to live on what the land produced, who was never going to even make it to lower middle class in Israel, what could he offer them? He could offer them hopes and dreams and security in the name of himself, Christ Jesus. And the ability to do things on earth, regardless of socioeconomic status, that would bring the kingdom of God to bear. That's what Jesus could offer. And he recognized for that man that day, if he did not lay down his wealth, he would be just as hopeless as the one who was poor, but setting their hope in financial security. Just as miserable, because he had not placed his hope in his dreams, his faith in his future, in the hands of Christ Jesus. Jesus is saying to that man, be free. Be free and come and follow me. Loose your chains and come follow me. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. There's one more piece of this scripture that I want to sort of parse out here this morning, and it's the end of the story. After Jesus says what's impossible for man is possible with God, Peter pipes up and he says, Jesus... this eternal life question it it matters to us Uh, we've left our homes for you you know we've followed you remember that whole laying down the net hopping out the boat following you thing we we did that are we in Are, are, are we good are we cool with heaven look at verse 29 Jesus says, truly I tell you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get back, hold on, look down your Bibles or on the screen, who will not get back, well actually look at the screen because we're all reading from different translations, (laughs) very much more in, say it with me, this age. Very much more in this age than almost as a parenthetical note, Jesus says, and in the age to come, eternal life. Very much more in this age. It's, it's, it's the abundant life that A.J. was talking about. Don't turn on this mic, it'll squeal. The broken change, the abundant life, very much more in this age was Jesus promising more money to the man. Hey, get rid of your money, give it to the poor, and then you're going to really be rich. God's going to multiply that a hundredfold. You're going to own China, right? No, that is not what he's offering this man. He's offering him real gains, 
real good stuff, stuff that lasts for eternity. Jesus was offering this man so much more than the little stuff that is money. He was offering this man souls and healings and miracles and redemption stories, baptisms and new birth, light out of darkness, life out of death. That's what happens when people who are secure in their money give it away and that money becomes a tool in the hands of God. Very much more in this age. Peter, you're going to be glad you and your buddies hopped out the boat and left your minuscule wealth to come follow me so that I could give you the wealth that lasts for eternity. Because there will be people in heaven looking at you and saying, thank you. Thank you for not considering your business or your trade the center of your world, for not considering the financial security it brought you the center of your world. Instead, you considered Jesus Christ, the Savior of humanity, the center of your world. And because you did that, you had the opportunity to win me to this place. Thank you. What a sad story for the rich young man. Jesus was offering him very much more in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. This man gave up his life when he walked away from Jesus. He gave up the gift of life in that moment because the gift of life was given that we might turn it back to God and say, use me the way you created me to be used. Why would anybody trade their wealth for why, why would anybody instead, let me put it another way, why, oh, because that was, that was ambiguous, why would anybody hold on to their wealth and say, no, Jesus, I don't want that. Folks, Jesus didn't say it's harder for a rich man to enter eternal life. He said the kingdom. He said the kingdom. I don't know where that man stood for eternity, but I know that he wasted his life because money was more important than Jesus. That's what we're led to believe. God may grant you eternal life, but you're not living because you're a slave to mammon and the sense of security it brings you. This man knew the law, so he knew his wealth belonged to God. And folks, we have read the scriptures We know our wealth belongs to God. But the writers of the Gospels, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, included this story so that we would know that God wants our heart, but we can't give him something that belongs to another. He wants your heart, but if all of your hopes and dreams and security are placed in wealth and placed there. And you, I'm not wealthy, I'm poor. Two nickels rubbing together. If your sense of hope, your sense of security, and all your dreams have to do with how much money's in the account and how much you can accumulate, regardless if you make 12 grand a year or 120 grand a year, you're missing out on real life. It's gonna be hard for you to enter the kingdom The beautiful thing is God hasn't called you to divest yourself of all your money, has he? If he has, we can talk. I might say, hold on a minute, where'd you hear that? 
God, God's not calling you necessarily to the same thing he called this man to. As I mentioned, Zacchaeus was called to something different, and Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. But Zacchaeus freely gave his heart to Jesus, and this man wasn't ready to. And I tell you today, and I gave this a lot of thought, I said, how do I sort of bring this home for folks there on a very practical level? Because this is not, this is not steps to implement This spirit that holds us, that puts our hopes and our dreams and our security and money, it's not a steps to implement to give that to Jesus. This man had a moment where he could have chosen. It's not steps to implement. It's a spirit to be broken. That's how this change is made. And that's that's weird language for 21st century America. What do you mean? Where are my steps to application here, Pastor Matt? No, it's, it, there's, there's no steps to application this morning, maybe in the next three weeks, but not today, because there's a spirit to be broken that allows us to stop placing our hopes and our dreams and our security and our stuff and our money and start placing our hopes and dreams and security and service to the kingdom. The spirit to be broken, not steps to implement. But I believe that God wants to break that spirit over each one of us. And perhaps there's been a long time that you've been sitting in churches. Maybe this church. Perhaps there's been a long time that you've been hanging out around the people of God. And something's just not clicking. You see the way God's using other people. You see the way that people are unabashedly worshiping God and you say you know what I'm in church because I know that I should be and it helps me to be a better person and I really do love Jesus but something I'm just not something's not clicking something's not right how do I get over that hump to get where these other people are and I ask you this question is God looking at you today and saying there's a spirit over you that needs to be broken It's that spirit that always wants more and puts your hope in that day when you get more and then you'll be living the good life. God's saying to you today, that's a lie. The good life is available to you right now. It's available right now. But you need to break the spirit of mammon over your life. The one that serves wealth and not God. You have to be willing today to say, God, whatever you ask of me with my wealth, it is yours. It is yours. Because I would rather live my life to the fullest, serving Christ Jesus in the kingdom of God, than live a slave to something that brings no hope and no life to anyone. Is the Lord asking that of you today? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Elders, would you come and take your places in the altar, please? We're going to take a few minutes to pray this morning. Just please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, your ears open. And I want to tell you today, it... We here at Victory Life, we have a time of prayer to end all of our services. We sing one last song as a commitment to the Lord.
But our service is not over. I just encourage you to stay right where you are because this is the time that you get to deal directly with God. There's no intermediary, no worship leader, no pastor to talk to you for God or for God to you. It's important that we do this. And today I just want to encourage you on a number of fronts. This is a prayer time that is open, meaning if you are responding to the message today and God's grabbing a hold of your heart and he's saying, you know what, buddy, pal, daughter, son, you need to just get on your knees before me today and we need to pray this thing through and we got to break this spirit. I encourage you, come to this altar today. No one will be judging you. They'll be celebrating what God's doing in your life. Be celebrating. And maybe at one point you did serve the kingdom and you've gone back into hopes and dreams and security being in wealth you come too. If you don't want an elder to pray for you, just kneel right at this altar or stand right at this altar. And then for those of you who say, you know what, Pastor Matt, I I have other prayer needs this morning. I heard what the choir sang about running to the mercy seat, and I, I just need Jesus in my life. Would someone pray with me and lead me there? Our elders are here to pray for you. Maybe you're that person who said, Matt, I'm, I'm claiming that I, I need something broken in my life, a chain, an illness, a, 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 an ailment. I need someone to pray for me. Our elders are here to pray for you. But in the next few moments, we're just going to take time with God, whatever God leads you to do. And if you remain in your seat today, and that is fine, I encourage you to pray and say, God, God, I'm listening. I'm standing looking at you saying, what do you want from me? Allow him to speak to you. And in a few moments, the band will lead us in one more song and we'll be out of here. But make this time for you and the Lord. I'm going to begin to pray and the altars are open. I'm just going to invite you to come as I begin to pray. If you want to pray in this altar, be prayed for by our elders. Heavenly Father, we look to you today to speak to us. We look to you today to move into our lives and to do something in us that we cannot do for ourselves because what is impossible for man is possible with God. I pray, Lord, that in this place today you will break the spirit of mammon. That folks who, folks who recognize very clearly that God, I've given you part of my heart, but this part of my heart I'm reserving, I'm giving it to you. Whatever you say today, I will do. I pray that takes place here. And I pray your sweet spirit, the same spirit that sent Jesus to the cross on our behalf, the same spirit that said, I come to give you life and life more abundant would be in this place, working and moving in each one of our lives to bring us to a place where our hopes and our dreams and our security is in you. Move in this place, Holy Spirit.